can be seated this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you, for Christy, for leading us this morning. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to take advantage of the technology that we have in our world today. Um, there is a message that I've shared with our leaders, um, probably on more than one occasion. It's a message that I've seen myself quite a few times. And it's a very important message because it's the title of the sermon is called The Church as a Family. The Church as a Family. And um, I know that if we've grown up in church, we've heard that phrase that the church is the body of Christ, it's the family of God. And for me, even growing up in church, we called everybody brother and sister. We don't do that so much an, anymore, but it was the constant reminder that we are family. But it's one thing to know it, it's quite another thing to live it. And uh, there's a pastor in California by the name of Banning Liebscher who preached a sermon a number of years ago that really illustrates this point so well. And I think it fits so well with the discipline of celebration that we've been talking about and also the week of Thanksgiving that we're heading into. And so I wanted to share that with us today. At the end of the message, he's going to call us to stand, or he's going to call the people in the video to stand, and he's going to pray over us. But I want to ask you in this room, I want us to stand too, because I want him to pray those same things over our lives, because the word, the word of God is true. Amen? And so whether or not he spoke it to a different audience or he speaks it to us, God can use it to transform us. And that's what I want him to do today. And so you don't have to welcome him because, you know, he's not going to hear us clap. But let's, uh, let's watch this message by Banning Leifcher called The Church as Family. and then Ephesians chapter 4. I want to talk to you about the church and about the concept of family, something I think we all desire but don't always understand fully what that means. Let me read this to you, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members, and here's the phrase, of the household of God. Read it again. When you got redeemed, when you got saved, when you put your faith in Christ, accepted the work of the cross, then you no longer are a stranger or a foreigner, but you're now a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. I, uh, since, I, since I was 17 years old and really encountered God at this church, I have been a very die-hard local church guy. Um, as much as we do stuff in the nations um, and around the world, like my heart really is deeply passionate about the local church. I'm convinced that the local church plays a significant role in the life of the individual believer, but also in the life of the city and the role of transformation. I think if you were to ask me at my core what I'm about, I want to see revival. It's what I feel like I got ruined for at 19. I just want to see revival. I want to see God awaken the nations and cities with his power and love. But, I, but I'm convinced that it's the local church which is the vehicle by which this happens, revival in cities and nations and transforming the hearts and lives of people. But I think that in our cry for revival, in our pursuit of seeing transformation in cities, God wants to have us look again at the church. He wants to give us a fresh perspective on the church. I, I, I believe that we can pray for revival, we can call out for revival, but that God needs to change some perspectives about how we see church 
to fully be as effective as he's called us to be and to make the impact that we're called to. And it's really around this issue because, I, I, and, I, I, and it's slight at some level. I, I, I'm a positive guy. I, I love what God's doing in the church. I, I'm not negative about the church. I'm not anti-church. I love what he's doing. But I feel like he wants to shift our perspective slightly in an area. And I don't know if you ever looked at something and you kind of had a hard time making it out until you kind of just changed your angle slightly, changed your perspective, you were able to see it more clearly. That's what I believe the Lord wants to do is he's just shifting an area where we look at the church fresh and new. And it's around this thing, that the church is a family, not a business. Now, I again, I, I, we applaud that, we say amen to that. I'm just not fully sure we follow that line of thinking out all the way. Because that line of thinking then requires some stuff from my life that, that I, I want it, I want family, I applaud it. That's what I desire my church to be. I'm not just sure we follow that line of thinking all the way out. I think the reality is, is this has always been God's plan. His plan to see the earth filled with his glory is, is about a family that he's redeeming unto himself. God did not send his son to die on a cross so that he could redeem employees unto himself. Right? We know this, right? He's not looking for employees. And, and, and again, I, and I believe in the analogy of the army for the body of Christ. Like I believe it is a biblical, like there's an, we, can, we can tie that in. But he didn't even send his son to die on a cross so that he could redeem soldiers unto himself. He's looking for sons and daughters to redeem. This is the whole thing. This is the promise in 1 Corinthians. The promise is this, is that, you'll, that, we can, that he'll be a father and we'll be sons and daughters. That for all those that accept the work of Jesus, we have the right to become children of God. This whole thing is about our lives being redeemed to him and then a family on the earth that represents who he is, that represents the father to a world that doesn't know him. This is, our, our whole lives are about that. As sons and daughters, not, it's not like, you know, this isn't like a multi-level marketing thing going on. And, and this isn't just like, I'm an employee and I know the employee handbook and I know how to, like, no, like, we've got a father that's redeemed. I'm a son. We're sons and daughters to him. And now I want to represent him in the earth as a family. We tell this story often, but, um, you know, I, I had a friend who in his uh, 20s, big guy, probably 6'4", 2-something, his boy, his boy was two or three years old, but he was watching his son one day. And his, when his son stood up, his son grunted, like this little boy. He's like, why is he grunting? So he watched him over the next couple of days, and he kept seeing every time he'd get up, his son would grunt. He could not figure it out until one day my friend was sitting in the couch watching TV. And when he stood up, he did that kind of like old man grunt stretch thing, you know, that kind of like, ugh. And right when he did it, he realized, oh, my gosh, that's me. That's me. Like, like his son at two or three years old is just kind of watching his dad and going, I guess men grunt when they stand up. That's what we do as men. We grunt. And so like, you know, his son, every time he said, he'd be like, eh, because I was watching my dad. He grunts, I grunt. This is, this is the whole thing for the Christian life is just like, like he's my dad. Why are we kind? Because we're watching him and go, man, he's so kind. And so we're kind. Why do we forgive? Why are we generous? All these things are because we've watched our father and this is who he is. And now as sons and daughters, as family, we represent this. So, so the plan for the harvest and the plan for transformation, the plan for my life, it's all family. 
But it's very important that we shift our perspective on this because many of us get tripped up or having a hard time or confused in church simply because we see it and it's not intentional, but we are we see it a certain way. And so how I see something or how I perceive something determines for me how I'm going to interact and engage with it. So if I see it a certain way, that's how I interact and engage with it. And therefore, if I see something wrong improperly or incorrectly, then I'm going to engage with it improperly. And frustrations and confusion kind of come around this stuff. I'm a, uh, um, probably because I'm an American, but I'm a big customer service guy and uh, just like customer service. And um, I don't, is anybody here from England or Europe? Okay, so I, I don't want to offend the whole continent, but... Um, We have a real passion. We go to the UK every year, do a conference, like love Europe. But, but every time you go to England, and if you're British, and Angela, you will agree with me on this point, they have to have the worst customer service ever. It's bad. France is worse, but it's bad. And, and it's like you go to restaurants, and you kind of feel like an inconvenience for being there. <laughs> Am I inconveniencing you? I'm so sorry for being here. And so... It could just be an American thing, and it could just be that, like, this is my God-given American right, good customer service. And so, but when I go, I'm not the guy who throws a fit. Like, I don't make a scene. I don't throw a fit. I don't talk to managers. But when I go and there's not good customer service, I just remember it and then don't come back. So if I go to a restaurant and I come in, they see me, I sit down at the table, and then it takes 10 or 15 minutes for somebody to come and find me and ask me if they, I want some water and bread. Like, I don't get upset, but I just remember and don't come back. If I ask for no tomatoes on my meal, because tomatoes somehow play a part in the plan of the Antichrist, <laughs> it's in Revelation, you can find it. But... Does anybody agree with me on that point about tomatoes? Uh, yeah, come on. Well, you may, be, you may be deceived. This is disturbing. <laughs> if I ask for no tomatoes on my dish and they bring tomatoes in the meal, again, I don't throw a fit. I don't get angry. I push them to the side, but I just remember this and don't come back. The problem is when I approach my house as if it was something other than a house, now, again, I have a godly fear of my wife, so I wouldn't do this. But if, if you can imagine me coming home and sitting down at my table and then waiting, wondering why nobody's coming over to check on me and get me water. And 10 or 15 minutes, I'm like, I wonder if anybody's going to come. Is anybody going to come? And then I'm like, is anybody going to come and bring me water? You know, from rooms all across the house. No, no, no. Get up and get your own water. I cannot believe, what, I can't, this is so, I cannot believe this. Like, it doesn't, it's problematic. It doesn't, it doesn't work because it's not a restaurant, it's a house. Can you imagine if my wife brought a meal out and it had tomatoes in it, on it, and I'm like, I specifically asked for no tomatoes in my meal. I will take my business and I will go elsewhere. I am never going to come back here again. This is unbelievable. Like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? Because it's not a restaurant, it's a house. It's not a business, it's a family. And how I approach it matters then. 
shifting. Again, m many of us don't realize we're doing this because it's just kind of ingrained in us or we're kind of like programmed to do this because we're in such a consumer-driven culture. But we approach the church as something other as family and then we're kind of confused about some things. When we, when we, if the church is a family, I, when we planted the church, you know, when you're trying to, you want to establish culture, so you want to put it inside of people and then you're trying to train them. And so, so you have stories or analogies that you'll kind of latch on to that kind of paint the picture. And so we would tell our church all the time, that, hey, if this is a family, then we want this every time we gather to be Thanksgiving. We want this to be Thanksgiving. And the reason I picked Thanksgiving is because Thanksgiving has quickly become my favorite holiday. It wasn't always because I came from a family, a pretty small family. So my, outside of my mom and dad, like the extended family are just, they're just dysfunctional and healthy and, and we love them, but we have no connection really to them. And so our holidays were like just me, my dad, my mom and my sister. So we'd sit down at Thanksgiving, it'd be us four, you know, we'd have our Thanksgiving meal or at Christmas, we'd sit down at Christmas and I don't know if any of you came from this type of small family, but you'd sit down at Christmas and then like my dad would open the gift and then we'd sit and we'd look at it and talk about it and discuss it and write a thank you letter for it. And then we'd move on to my sister and she'd open her gift and we'd all look at it. And, and that was like that. And, and, and then what happened was I married CJ and I married into a family that's the exact opposite. I, the, like, like not only are all the grandparents still connected, not only are there aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews and in-laws, but, but there's also a, multiple marriages. We love all of them too. Like they're all, we're all super connected, but there's half and step and there's all this stuff. So I remember the first time I'm 19 and I go down, drive down to CJ's family in Sacramento. And I remember going to like Christmas and I walked in and there's like 40 or 50 people in the living room. And I was like, what's going on? She goes, this is Christmas. Why are all these people here? <laughs> and then I'm, I'm like wanting to find out who's who. And, and I didn't know everybody yet. So I'm like, because there's, again, there's like your dad, your stepmom. I said, well, who's that guy? And she goes, that's my, that's my brother, Dave. And I was like, your brother, Dave? I didn't know you had a brother, Dave. Is that your dad's side, your stepmom's side? And she goes, yeah, neither really. <laughs> so I said, well, how is he your brother then? <laughs> I, I'm not making this up. She goes, you know, I'm not really sure. He just kind of started hanging out in high school. And uh, we just started calling him brother. And he's come ever since. And I'm, I'm like, that's not even legal. Like, you can't. He shouldn't be at Christmas. And then... And then we start opening presents and it was, they give me their present. I'm like, thank you so much. And so I start opening it. And then I kind of, I hear some commotion. I look around and 10 other people were opening gifts at the same time. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. I haven't even finished opening my gift. We haven't talked about it, discussed it, played with it, written a thank you letter for it. You can't open your gift same time. Like it was just, this is anarchy. Your family are anarchists. So, so because of this though, Thanksgiving's become my favorite holiday. I, it's a, every year we go over to our sister's house and then it's grandparents and aunts and uncles and brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and nieces and nephews, cousins. We all gather for all day. It's unbelievable. It's so much fun. And we get there and, and, and we all, you know, everybody's jumping in. 
Like the whole family thing is like, we all jump in. Let's make this a great Thanksgiving. And some people are setting up tables and cooking turkeys. And, and when I got there at 19 years old, I have a job at Thanksgiving now. And, and I showed up at 19 years old. When I was there, somebody's like, hey, how you doing? Great to have you. Here's a bag of potatoes, sweet potatoes, and yams. And here's a potato peeler. It's like, I guess I'm peeling potatoes. So I peel potatoes. Next year, I come back. So it's like, here's a bag of sweet potatoes, yams, potatoes, here's a potato peeler. I peel potatoes. I'm 41 years old. I'm a senior pastor. I am Kim Walker Smith's pastor. No, just kidding. I, I, I have written books. And guess what I did at Thanksgiving? Last November, guess I peel potatoes. Except for now, I've gotten so good at it. <laughs> I bought, I, I got my own potato peeler from Japan. Oh, I kid you not. It's a Japanese variety, and I have it. I bring it. I bring it. I use it like once a year just for Thanksgiving. I bring it. I'm gonna make a holster next year, and I, I, I come with it. And I come and I, I peel potatoes. It's what I do. It's what I do. But, but here's the crazy thing. At Thanksgiving, like. It's funny because I don't have a passion for potatoes. I don't have a vision for potatoes. A prophet didn't call me out and tell me that I was going to, like potatoes are not a passion of mine. But family is. So, so I'm like, I don't have a passion for potatoes, but whatever I can do to make this the best Thanksgiving ever. And as long as I'm doing it with family, I'm good. I love it. I'm peeling potatoes, talking to my brother-in-law. We're having a blast. It, it's, there's this thing that when you approach family, it's just so different than anything else you approach. And they're just normal, natural things that you do in family that you don't anywhere else. I peel potatoes. It's what I do. And you know what's crazy is? There's no leadership ladder in a family either. I don't know if you realize this. The leadership ladder concept is a corporate model. Like, I'm not at Thanksgiving peeling potatoes looking at the turkey carver. <laughs> One day. I won't be here forever. <laughs> it started at the bottom, but that's where I'm headed. I got a, I got a call in my life to carve turkeys. <laughs> right? It's family. Nobody even thinks like that. Silly, like whatever, I'll do whatever. Like we all do stuff and we're all here because it's about family. And guess what else? Do you know in the 22 years that I've been going, do you know that not one time has somebody said thank you for peeling those potatoes? <laughs> I don't know if you can believe that. I'm, uh, they didn't say thank you this year. I may not come back next year. Like it's bad. Like nobody cares. Like, no, I have this. This is the conversation I have in my head because the best dish there is a sweet potato casserole. And so um, it's this granny, 95 years old. She's made this, we, the, somebody else makes it now, but it's this amazing dish. It's the favorite dish. And people go like, oh, this is so good. And in my head as they're eating that, I'm like, you like that? You enjoying it? Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Those sweet potatoes did not peel themselves. <laughs> Nobody thanks me, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, like, whatever. Like, it's just like we're here with family. This is what we're doing. Like, like so, so this shift that begins to happen really affects, like, no, I'm coming to church. It's Thanksgiving. This is that thing for me of, like, hey, we need people to work in the nursery. I don't really feel called to children's. I don't know really what that has to do with anything. 
I'm not trying to get on you, but like, I don't have a passion for children. Okay, all right, well, it, it's, it's less about like, and I want you to be in your passion. I want you to be thriving. I want you to be doing what, but, but it's family. It's just, it's a different thing when you approach it as family. We're here to jump in, do this thing. This thing has to shift because one of, the, one of the things that family does is it sets you up to mature. This is why, and I don't wanna get into sanctification all that type of stuff, but, but God's trying to mature you. It is family that thinks like that. Restaurants don't, hotels don't, families do. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, which is the church leadership, church government, passage about the fivefold ministry, which we all love. But, but Paul's writing, when he's talking about the church, more than any other language is family-based. It's family language that he's using, even when he's talking about the fivefold ministry. Even when he's talking about what we would say is church government, he's talking about family language in this context. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter four. And he himself gave some to be apostles, verse 11, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, what I would call the normal Christian life, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature, to a perfect man, one translation says, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Again, he, he's referring to the concept of sanctification here, that the, that the Holy Spirit transformed our lives into the image of Jesus. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Okay, listen to this again and listen to this, the, the family language of maturing. The apostle prophet, the fivefold, is has been given to us gifts from God to equip us, to edify us, so we become a mature man, no longer children, and so that we will grow up into all things who's him, the head Christ. This, so many people, their growth is stunted and they remain immature in many areas of their life because they do not approach the church as a family. And again, it's, it's not even from rebellion. It, I, I just don't think we know we're doing it. And so therefore our growth gets stunted because it's family that thinks maturity. My, the main job of my life as a parent is, is to see my sons and daughters become healthy and mature and grow in every aspect of their life. until so they become healthy fathers and mothers who have their own sons and daughters who grow and mature, become healthy fathers and mothers, who have sons and daughters. This is the natural flow of family. That's why at some level, when we get in the church, we're so confused sometimes why like people are involved in our life. The whole game is maturity. The whole thing is your life maturing to look like Christ. That's it right there. So that's what the fivefold has been given to us for. So, so what you know, in the natural, if my son at 12 stopped physically growing, I, I, I would be extremely concerned. I would be concerned, his grandpa would be concerned, his aunt would be concerned, siblings would be concerned. We're like, I don't know what's happening, he's growing. And what are we gonna do? I don't know, I'm gonna take him to the doctor. We're gonna find out why he's not growing. Take him to the doctor. 
listen, in, in, in the church, if it's family, then there are people that come and like, Eric, something's wrong. What? You haven't grown. <laughs> like six months. You don't look any more like Jesus today than you did six months ago. How you're responding, how you're approaching, whatever else it is. Some are like, whoa, 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 why you gotta be up my business about this stuff? Because family is about this. Family is like, this is what family, this is why this is the fivefold has been given to me to mature, to grow. And one of the main, there's two, I'll see if I get to both of them, but one of the, one of the main distinctions, one of the main marks of maturity I believe is this issue of personal responsibility. One of the reasons why we have to approach it as a family, not as a business or a house, not a restaurant, is because there, I, don't have re, I don't have a sense of personal responsibility in a restaurant. So when I come to Thanksgiving, there's a sense of personal responsibility, both for my life, for the family, for what's going on. Then in a restaurant, it's just not there. Again, these are very consumer mindset concepts, which again, none of us want. Like, if you ever talk to anybody, like, hey, you want to go to a consumer-driven church where they just, like, no, not really. Like, like I don't. I don't like it. I, I, I'm opposed to it. And yet I don't fully understand how, if I'm not careful, I contribute to it because I actually don't, I'm not approaching it as a family. And so personal responsibility is one of those things. You know one of the main things that I can see from my own kids when there is their maturity is personal responsibility begins to set in their life. There, when you got saved, you became a follower of Jesus. So I'm following Jesus. There's certain things that he asks of me as a follower of Jesus. Pray, pray for the sick. Take care of widows, orphans, and the poor. Be generous. Share your faith, disciple people. Let people in your life, get in people's life, do community. These are things that we're called to as followers of Jesus. But it's amazing how we come to the fivefold and we want them to do what Jesus has asked us to do. I want the church fivefold, I want leadership to build something for me that actually accomplishes my Christian life. They, um, we, my wife, we have a dog, this one dog, we got a couple dogs, one of these dogs is Golden Retriever, his name's Dash. When he, when he was a puppy, he tore everything up. Like it was bad, it was, not, the house, the backyard would run away, wouldn't walk on a leash. So about a year in, I'm like, CJ, I can't do this anymore. Like, we've got to get this dog trained. And uh, so I was at PetSmart and I saw that they had a sign that said dog training classes. So I'm like, that's great. You know, it's like $180 for 10 classes or something. So I'm like, done. There's your money. And I bring my dog in the first day to this class, and it's already embarrassing because he won't walk on a leash. He chokes himself the entire time. Just <laughs> and then once you stop walking, he sits there coughing for like 30 minutes because he choked himself. So I'm like walking him in, he's pulling me into the class, and I kind of sit down, he's coughing. And the lady comes out. And the lady comes out and she's and she starts the class. And as she starts the class, I'm noticing like. I wonder why you're talking to me, not my dog. <laughs> and I thought, hey, it's an introductory class. It's the first class. Maybe she just spends her time talking to me. I come back the next week. I bring my dog, and she continued to talk to me. And I, I, I'm not making this up. I'm legitimately like, I don't need you to talk to me. I'm not the problem. Like, I paid money so that you would fix my dog. 
here's what I need you to do. I need you to fix my dog. I need you to get my dog to walk on a leash, and I need you to get my dog to stop running off. I need you to get my dog to stop chewing everything. And I gave you $180 to accomplish this. Why are you talking to me right now? And I very quickly learned that like dog training classes don't train dogs. They actually train people. I didn't go back. I legitimately didn't go back. So I'm like, listen, I, I, didn't, I paid money for you to fix my dog. I don't need you to train me. I need you to train my dog. And, 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 and I, this is, welcome to the church. Like, this is what happens. Like, people come in, they're like, hey, here I am. I've got this thing that God's called me to do. What are you building to accomplish that? Like, like I, I've got a responsibility for what Jesus called me to. I'd like to know what you're building to do this. Listen, guys, this happens. We, we planted a church three years ago, and a ton of people came, and it wasn't like all new believers. <laughs> These are people who've been around for a while in the church. And they'd come and be like, hey, uh, so how do I get plugged in around here? How do I find community? And we're a pretty simple church. Like, I don't have, you know, I'm like, we intentionally don't have a ton going on. It, we didn't have any small group structure or anything. And so I'm like, uh, I, you know, I don't know. Go, you know, invite somebody over to your house for dinner. And they're like, no, 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 like how do I get plugged in? How do I get plugged in around here? You know, go to Starbucks with somebody. And they were, they were like, they didn't know what to do. They were like, no, no, like what's your small group structure? What's your small group structure? How to get plugged into that? And it really struck me because I'm like, wait a second. Are you telling me that if I don't build a small group structure, which I'm not opposed to, right? We've got some small groups going. I'm not opposed to any of this. But I'm like, are you telling me if I don't build a small group structure, you actually wouldn't know how to get in community? Like as a follower of Jesus who tells you to, to allow people in your life and give people's life, that somehow if, if, if a five-fold ministry doesn't build a small group structure, that this is, that the reason is, is this is where maturity gets stunted. Because listen, the deal is this, if your pastor never builds a small group structure, would you still lean in and say, you know what, God's called us to get connected. You're come with me and you're come with me and let's get them and we're gonna go do life on life together. I'm not opposed to programs, I'm not opposed to structure, but, but I'm saying we've, we've like removed personal responsibility. Somebody might come up to me and say, hey, my neighbor just got saved, where's the new believers class? In your living room. <laughs> and guess who the leader is? I anoint you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to go and, because this is the honest truth, guys, it's not like, like I disciple, I, I, I disciple people, not because I'm paid pastor, right? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. It's not, so, so it's not my job to disciple your neighbor. It's my job to make sure you're equipped, that you're encouraged, that you're growing to be effective in your discipleship. But we come, we come and like, hey, you know, where's new believers class? Or, or people all the time like, you know, what are we doing about the poor? I don't know. Like, what's our church doing for the poor? I don't know what you're doing for the poor. I have no idea what you're doing for the poor. What are you doing for the poor? I don't know what everybody in this room is doing for the poor. What they're asking is, what's the 501c3 corporation doing for the poor? This is, this is what I, this is what we, again, I have, I, I, there's a biblical basis for giving money to the, the leadership and having them take care of the poor and setting up structures. I'm not opposed to that, right? What I'm opposed to is this, is that if, if there was never a program to take care of the poor in your city, do you lean in and say, God, what's my role? What are you asking me to do to take care of the poor of this city? What are you asking me to do to, to create community? It's amazing how many times people are coming in, they're like, hey, I, I tithe every once in a while. And, um, 
I'd like to know, like, man, they just don't, they just don't, they don't build good community around there. These, these are very consumer, I'm just telling you. So, you know, I saw their small group structure, this or that. I'm like, listen, there's got to be a level of maturity that begins to grow up in all of us. It's like, nah, like, you don't, I, I don't need you to build a small group structure. I'm going to go get some people and we're going to go do life on life with one another. And then we're going to go find a bunch of immature new believers who need to come on in. And we're going to go grab them as well because they need, like, this is a personal responsibility issue. It's just a personal responsibility issue. It's, it's like, you know. It is the only way to live. I'm telling you, we have this thing where like, I don't, I'm just at the spot and we're seeing it in our church everywhere else. Like people, there's so much life to this. Like I don't need, I don't want you to live my Christian life for me. Like we kind of come and it's the pastor who's got this vision and we're gonna build this thing and this is how we're gonna do it. And I'm like, you know what Eric's job to do is to do is just build you. Build you and then let's find out what comes out of your heart to reach a city. But we're so used to coming and saying, hey, you've put a menu together and you're doing this. And so like, we gotta share, but, but family, listen, what I, my point of this is family thinks like that and it's not weird. It's weird when I go to a restaurant and they're like, hey, how you doing? Any way you could get back there? I hear you're pretty good with potatoes. Could you help us? Potato? <laughs> I'm paying money right now to not do that. <laughs> like I'm here cause I don't want to cook. So, so it's weird for us. It's not weird when people are like, man, go for it. Let's do, you know, like, like we want community. Well, let's find, it's not, personal responsibility isn't weird in the context of family. It's weird outside the context of family. Are you tracking with me on this? Because th this, is, this is why the church has got to shift to an internal motivated believer. <laughs> we want to say we're a spirit-led people but we don't even realize how externally motivated we have to be to follow Jesus. The spirit-led life is an internally motivated life. The, the big difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is the old covenant was an externally motivated covenant. Angela, obey your parents. What if I don't? We will stone you. <laughs> we will kill you if you don't. Okay, I'm gonna obey my parents. The, the new covenant, the covenant of grace, is actually a higher standard. So, so grace is a higher standard than the law because grace requires an internal reality. So, so the old covenant said, don't sleep with that woman unless it's adultery. The new covenant says, don't lust after that woman unless it's adultery. It's an internal reality. The, the old covenant says, don't, don't kill that person unless it's murder. The new covenant says, don't hate unless it's murder. Jesus was dealing with an internal reality because what the new covenant has that the old covenant doesn't have is the spirit of God. God himself now resides within my life and is now the transforming, empowering, motivating force. The Christian life is an internally motivated, spirit-led life. We want to be spirit-led believers, but we're still, in, we're still kind of needing external motivators to get us to do what Jesus has called us to do. I'm not trying to be mean, right? I'm just saying that this is, maturity is where we get with this. And I can see with my own kids, one of the main signs of maturity is this, is I don't have to externally motivate them. There, there's a personal responsibility that begins to internally motivate them. And listen, I'm not mad. This is the beautiful thing about family. We're not mad about immaturity. In my own life, I have areas of immaturity. <laughs> 
there are there are immature people in the room and mature people in the room and different uh, like that like at Thanksgiving there's three people that don't actually you know help kids they're all about themselves and we're okay we're not mad right guests we don't expect guests to help we're good college students will come home we're like we got you man you don't have to help but then there's that one random odd uncle who sits on the couch just randomly like bring me food and that's odd but but I'm not mad about the immaturity in my 10 year old when my son was 10 if I didn't externally motivate that boy he would his diet would consist of watermelon uh, sour patch salt and vinegar chips teriyaki jerky and cup of noodles that'd be it he wouldn't brush his teeth he wouldn't take a shower he wouldn't change his clothes I'm not mad that I have to, you know, we got to put some external motivation as I'm equipping and training this boy. The problem is not immaturity. The problem is if he stays there. This is what family requires. It's like, we're okay that you're immature. Like, I'm, like it's all right. Like, it's totally okay. But growth is required. <laughs> got to keep growing. Got to keep growing. Got to keep growing. That's, that's what we're going after. That is a family concept. I would say this, that again, we're praying for revival. We're praying for a harvest. Like, God, bring revival, bring a harvest. But, but we've got to be able to look and say, one, what's he bringing the harvest into? And how does family become a catalyst for the harvest? So, so he's, he's putting the lonely where? In families. He sets the lonely in families. People all over the city, they're lonely. They don't know Jesus. They're apart from him. They don't know there's a father who loves them, who cares about them. They're going to find that. He's going to put them in this family. But the other thing is, is, I really believe that this mindset, this mindset shift begins to, begins to become catalytic in the harvest because I believe that healthy family is one of the most attractive things on the planet. If you grew up in a dysfunctional home, you'll get that. That one kid who had the healthy family, you're like, hey, can I hang out with you guys? And, and I don't even have words for this. I just know that I'm attracted to that. So there's people all over the place and dysfunction broken. And, and healthy family being lived out and displayed. And they can, they can tell when they walk in. My mom, she's not here, so I'm going to throw her under the bus briefly. But um, I didn't grow up in a, my mom is not a morning person at all. And so I didn't, I had, when I, when I was growing up, I had to get up and I had to pour my own cereal. And um, I know. And uh but, so I remember I'm in seventh grade, I got no boundaries, and I'm, I'm cocky, and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm eating cereal one day, and about two streets over was my best friend, his name was Peter Shelley, and his mom would get up every morning at 4.30, and when he woke up at 6.30 and walked out of his room, he would walk into the kitchen with a full hot breakfast. Full hot breakfast. I mean, biscuits and gravy, pancakes, waffles, sausage and eggs. And so I'm in my house one day, seventh grade, I'm sitting there, and I'm like eating my cold cereal and, and I was thinking, Peter's got a hot breakfast right now. And so he was just a couple streets over. So I get up, I go get my bike. I don't call him, I don't ask, I just go. And I ride my bike over, I put my bike in the driveway. I don't knock, I walk in, I'm like, hello, Mrs. Shelley, what's up, Peter? And I sat down at their table <laughs> and had breakfast with them. I started going over there and just having breakfast at their house. 
Guys, there really is something so attractive about healthy family. Don't tell my mom that. There, the height of dysfunction is when you have to eat your own cereal. Um, but there's so, there, there really is something so attractive. I'm like, I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna be there. And, and, and they can tell when they walk in, guys, this has to shift because again, we don't even realize it, but we approach it as a restaurant and they can tell. Guys, even we've, we've got greeters and ushers and we've got all these people that are supposed to be friendly when people walk in. And, and I love that ministry, we have that ministry. But do you realize that when you really say, this is our family and this is our house, at Thanksgiving, this happened last Thanksgiving, no joke, there'll be, there'll be uh, college students that come in with the nieces and nephews who couldn't go to their homes, so they come. And I would never walk by one of them if they're sitting by themselves and just let them stay there. Ever, ever. My wife, there was two of them from San Francisco State. And CJ said, hey, they're by themselves. I said, I got them. I go over there. I said, hey, guys, how you doing? Come on. Do you not know anybody here? Come. Come over here with us. We're watching football. This is Kenny. You, you peel potatoes. Let's do this. And, uh, <laughs> but but it, it's just this thing of like, and it has nothing to do with your personality. You can be the most introvert personality in the world. But when somebody comes into your house and is sitting by themselves, no way you let, like, you're like, no way you're going to come into my house and not feel welcome, not feel loved, not feel taken care of, not feel adopted. And I don't care if I'm the quietest person on the planet. It's my house. It's my responsibility. This is the shift that begins to happen even for the harvest. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, if we're really praying for a harvest to come in, you think we can somehow build a better, uh, you know, somehow we can build a more efficient small group structure to take care of what we're really praying for. It is a cultural issue. It is a cultural issue that has to come in that says nobody comes into our environment. And if they are somehow, this is why we have to have, I'm going over, but listen, we have to have mothers and fathers to mature because the goal is to get critical mass of mature people who, there, there's a, in, in Tennessee, uh, somebody started this foster agency because they had a vision. There were more foster kids on the waiting list than parents. And so they said, what if we shifted that? What if we could see more foster parents on the waiting list than kids? And they went after that thing. This is what I pray for the church. What if we had more fathers and mothers, mature, responsible, waiting that the minute some immature new young believer came in, they're like, hey, what you doing? Come on, you're with me. Like, 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 like this is, and we begin to, there's a critical mass of maturity that comes in. It begins to see the harvest. Stand up with me. I gotta let you go, you have like one exit to leave, so it takes you a while. Grab a hand of somebody next to you. Grab a hand of somebody next to you. Father, I pray, I pray that you would show us any area in our life where somehow we're approaching the church as something other than family. That you would show us, that you would show us, God, where we've been approaching as a restaurant, a hotel, a business. God, challenge these areas in our life. Challenge the areas in our life that have remained immature because we haven't fully stepped into church as a family. May, may personal responsibility hit us. May we be an internally spirit-led people. We pray for a great harvest and revival. We pray that family would manifest in this place. Amen.
right. There is a lot to chew on in that, isn't there? Yeah. And I love that line, healthy family is one of the most attractive things in our world. And so I just pray that over the week ahead, I hope you took some good notes. If you didn't, good news, it'll be on our podcast, it'll be on our YouTube channel and our Facebook channel. You can go back and watch it again um, and lean in. What God, what, what's it going to take for me to see this different? How can I be a part of it? What, what do I need to do to shift so that our church becomes more like a family than it ever has before? And so lean into that and uh, see what comes out of you. I love it. So, so much to chew on. Thank you guys for being here. Don't forget to stop by the table in the back before you leave. Uh, if you need to sign up for some information, if you need information about Church Center, offering baskets are back there as well. Local outreach offering today goes towards candy for the Parade of Lights um, and then any other outreaches that we do throughout the year. Thank you guys for your faithful giving. God bless you as you go today. Don't forget to celebrate as you do.